Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. I need you to turn to your neighbor and tell them that the glory of the Lord resides upon them. Now put your hand on their shoulder and call fire down from heaven. Get them. All right. All right, we have a a fun night tonight. Um, Almost never do this, but I'm going to show you guys videos. Church at the movies, my favorite. No, I'm kidding. I would never. I would never church at the movies. Um, I really believe that in every single generation, are you live right now? That means you're in this generation, okay? So if you're alive, you're in the generation right now on this planet. In every generation that's ever walked on this planet, I believe that the Lord raises a company of believers who draw a line in the sand when it comes to purity and holiness. I think these are two things that the Lord absolutely adores when people actually say, I am unwilling to compromise on these these issues. Um, These are huge to him, and he responds to these things because they reflect his heart. Purity and holiness reflect him. There's never been a time when God hasn't been fully pure, and there's never been a single day when his holiness has decreased in nature. It's only increased. And the cry in his heart is to search for those who carry those things. So there's a very famous uh, verse in Second Chronicles. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that word completely, another word for it is full or perfect. Whose heart is full for him. Whose heart is perfect for him. Without blemish, without compromise. He's actually searching for those glory carriers. He's actually searching for those unblemished holiness people, pure people. And listen, I'm not talking about uh, purity meaning sinlessness um, or spotlessness because we have that under grace, okay? This is not that, although that's a wonderful thing. What I'm talking about is purity of heart, What I'm talking about is purity of your entire being, where there's nothing tainted about it in your pursuit for him. He's actually seeking those people. He's looking to and fro for them. Um, Have you ever had Sunny Delight when you were a kid? You know Sunny Delight, the drink? Okay, well, if you don't know what it is, Sunny D, as we called it in the streets, Sunny D was this horrific mixture of this thick, juice-like substance that somehow made you more thirsty after you drank it. I don't understand what they put in there, but I would describe the flavor as not quite orange. And, you know, it's like orange juice if the oranges grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. That's Sunny D right there. Uh, The flavor wasn't really that great. It didn't really quench your thirst afterwards, and my parents would never buy it. It was always at the you know, at, you'd find it at the rebellious kid's house who you weren't really supposed to play with, but like they were allowed to do whatever they wanted and they got Sunny D. Just lawlessness. Anyways, 
Sunny D is this hyped up version of orange juice. Okay, that's, it's like what it's kind of, I don't know, built upon. And Sunny D used to have the coolest commercials. I grew up in the 1980s and we had the best commercials. And I didn't like Sunny D, but I wanted to drink it because of the commercials, because it was so cool. And, um, you know, they had this catchy recurring theme in every commercial they did, where every commercial, even if they were different commercials, there would be a bunch of kids playing. And then they'd come in the house and the mom was unloading groceries and she'd put it, they'd, they'd go to the fridge and they'd open up the fridge and everyone's like, what do you have to drink? What, what can we drink? And in every commercial, when they open the fridge, the kid who lives there says this. He says, we have soda, we have um, OJ, we have purple stuff, we have Sunny D. And as soon as he says Sunny D, all the kids cheer, we want Sunny D. And they erupt and it's this big happy moment. And they're, they're selling us this idea that Sunny D is the better drink choice than soda, than OJ, than the purple stuff. Sunny D. Okay, do you want to see a Sunny D commercial? Do we have a Sunny D commercial lined up? Yeah, all right, let's see. I love that. It draws you in, right? Like they're playing and then do do do. Mom's putting groceries away and then they're playing do do do. Sunny D's in the fridge. We're all ready for it. And I don't know if you caught how they marketed it. They said, it tastes like orange. It tastes like tangerine. It tastes like healthy stuff. They literally said that. It tastes like orange, tangerine, and healthy stuff. That's how they marketed it. It tastes like healthy stuff. Do you know why they say that? Because it's not healthy. But it tastes like healthy stuff. Not very close to the healthy stuff, but it just tastes like healthy stuff. So you can look this up. You can Google this. You'll find out that Sunny D is 2% fruit juice and 98% question marks, words you can't read because they're like 16 letters long. Sunny D is 2% fruit juice. That means it's 98% unhealthy stuff. Basically, it's this sludge, this thick, gooey, chemical drink that tastes like healthy stuff, but it's marketed to make you think that it's healthy stuff. I thought it was healthy stuff. That's why I was bummed that I didn't like the taste of it, because I'm like, ah, oh, I have to drink the purple stuff, right? And, and I, I don't know why, but in every com commercial they have, they mention purple stuff. That was part of their thing. And it's so funny to me because they're slandering other unhealthy stuff to make you buy their unhealthy stuff. Like Sunny D is literally just purple stuff, but orange. It, it is the purple stuff, you know? What is the point, Sam? I don't know. I just had an 80s road trip with you guys. The point is that no matter how you market it, Sunny D will always have 2% purity. It will always have 2% purity. And it may sell itself as healthy, and it may taste like healthy, and it may smell like healthy, but at any given point, the maximum healthiness of that drink is 2%. And no matter how they market it, the unhealthy portion of that is 98%. 98%. And it may be a really, really, really healthy 2% that they're trying to market to you. 
But how many of you know you have to fight through that first 98% of unhealthy in order to receive any benefit of that 2% of the healthy? And I'm telling you, the 98% is going to outweigh the 2%. It's like going and getting like six combo meals at McDonald's but a Diet Coke, right? It's the same thing. Like, it, what are you doing here? I need you to understand, and, and I'm sorry if there's any Sunny D reps in the house. I'm, I don't hate you. I'm just using you as an example. But Sunny D is trying to sell an impure product and market it as pure. And that's a problem. So what? You know, people know it's not healthy. Nobody's being fooled. Well, no, the problem is that a lot of people are fooled by the marketing. I was fooled by the marketing. That was a hot commodity. To, you know, if the kid showed up at lunchtime with that little Sunny D container... But people are willing to compromise when something tastes like healthy because they think tasting like healthy is healthy. And they think that produces health. And even with all their fun marketing, year after year, do you know what outsells Sunny D? Orange juice. The real stuff. The stuff that Sunny D is trying to impersonate. I don't remember a single orange juice commercial from when I was a kid, but I remember all the Sunny D commercials as a kid. And yet, the pure always outsold the impure. Do you see how this applies to the church world? Okay. No matter how you market it, purity matters. And purity is what stirs his heart. Purity. And again, I'm not just talking about sinlessness. I'm, I'm talking about this undivided, pure heart where there's no other agenda other than making Jesus the pure focus. Not 98% focus, not 99.9% .9 focus, but 100% of the focus. And listen, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Oahu School of Worship. I love OSW. Um, I think OSW time is second to none. And our team, you guys know most of our team, but the team, what they carry and what they cultivate is wildly powerful, wildly powerful. Um, my favorite worship leader of all time, Jeremy Riddle, is going to be joining us. He's joining it. Listen, I need you to understand this because people who are coming, don't come for Jeremy Riddle. Jeremy's joining in what the Lord is doing on this island in our generation, okay? He'll be the first to tell you, don't come to see me. Come to encounter the Lord. Come to join in what he's doing in our region, in our culture, in our generation. But I love Jeremy because he's a guy who has seen it all when it comes to the worship world. And I'm not, I don't think I'm, I think I can back this up. He's got to be in the top five to ten all-time greatest worshipers ever, right? There's probably David at the top. You got, I don't know, Keith Green in there somewhere. Like Jeremy's not that far down the list. And do you know what his message is? Purity. His message is purity. His heart for purity is everything. And worship without purity is meaningless. Yes, also Rachel Morley, number one. I meant after Rachel, like that was obvious. Rachel, King David, Keith Green, Jeremy, so on and so forth. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit today about powers and principalities and strongholds. This is an important topic. We've talked about some of these things in the past. But powers, principalities, strongholds, these things fight against purity by trying to maintain status quo. That's their job. In every single generation, there is, there is a company that the Lord raises up where purity is the most important standard. 
purity is our most important standard, okay? He is looking for a people where purity is non-negotiable. Not 80%, not 90%, 100%. He is looking for a people who are unaffected by hype and marketing. And we've talked about this probably several times in the past, but one of the things that the Lord is doing on the planet today is he's refining and he's purifying worship. He's refining worship. He's purifying worship because worship is always about him and he demands purity. In 2020, when the whole world decided to go crazy, I think the whole world was drinking Sunny D. (laughs) You know, everything seemed upside down. And I spent a lot of time just asking the Lord, what are you doing right now? And I, I, I don't even mean like corporately across the globe. I just mean like within the bride of Christ, within the capital C church. God, what are you doing? What are you refining right now? What do you want us to learn? Because I don't want to learn this lesson twice. 2020, that lesson sucked. So thank God, you know, hopefully that was a one and done for us. But I kept asking him, what are you doing in the bride right now? And this was his answer that he kept saying. It was almost like he was answering a different question. But he said, the show is over. The show is over. And what he started to say was that he was turning people's hearts and stomachs away from a performance culture that actually makes an idol out of man's attention and makes it an idol out of man's affection. He's actually causing people to be repulsed by that culture that's invaded so many of our churches. And when I heard him say that, what I feel like he was really saying was he's turning hearts and stomachs away from impure worship. This is funny, but I think this stands. He's turning hearts away from Sonny D, right? It's marketed as great. But honestly, if you lived off of Sonny D, you're probably going to die. He wants full purity, and he doesn't compromise on that. He's never compromised on that. And it's those people who understand and pursue the full purity that actually receive the reward from him in their generation. We're going to be that company. He's not interested in compromise. He's not interested in mixture. He's seeking a people that will despise the lesser things that separate them from him. Because that's what impurity does. It separates. And gimmicks may attract man, but they don't attract God. In fact, it repulses him. And, you know, we've said this many times, too. Uh, We're not interested in revival culture. We're interested in revival. The, The culture will come with it, but we're not here to just say the right things or sing the right songs or lights at the right dimming and chairs at the right softness, right? That that's way too shaky of a foundation for us to stand on. Something that I have found in my years of ministry is that it's really, really easy to talk the talk. In fact, I would say everyone talks the talk. And lots of people say all the right things and go through all the right motions. But Jesus said that your heart actually produces fruit. And the minute that you can see fruit is the minute you know the health of those roots. It bothers me when I hear... um, circles promoting this revival culture and they say all the right things and they send all the cool emails and have all the right posts that looks great and it's very hypey but then you go and there's no anointing flowing in those services 
And there's no evidence that God is actually moving in those services. Like, we actually have to have a demand on God. If he doesn't show up in our services, what are we doing? If we can do this without him, what are we doing? Just because they call it pure doesn't make it pure. Just because they call it pure, it may attract the masses. There's a lot of people that drink Sunny Dew who think it's healthy. But when I've seen this year after year after year, when people do experience the real, they can never go back to the impure. You know, we are no experts. We'll never take that stance. We're never going to arrive. This is a journey that we're going to be forever taking with the Lord. Um, But it does, I think it bothers the Lord. It bothers me when people think that true revival that actually impacts society can be boiled down to a formula of what we need to do instead of who we need to be. Okay, this is about who we are, not what we do. And God very clearly has said about this house, about reunion, about our family, that he's raising up Joshua's and Catherine Kuhlman's. Joshua from your Bible, Catherine Kuhlman from history. Okay? And I I asked him, why Joshua and why Catherine Kuhlman? There's been a billion names he could have inserted, and I love both of those names, but why God, why did you pick them? And he said, well, Joshua was the one who would remain in the temple after Moses left. Joshua was the one who chose to remain where the presence was even after everyone else went home, even when everyone else was bored, even when everyone else says, I've had enough. He remained. And it's really interesting. I don't think it's coincidence that Joshua was one of the very few who got to enter into the promised land. And then he, I said, why Catherine Kuhlman? He said, well, she's someone who, who shook both heaven and earth. Sometimes there are people who shake heaven, but not earth. And sometimes there are people who shake earth, but not heaven. But it was this intense uh, connection and awareness of his presence that he prized Catherine Kuhlman. And I feel like he's raising up Joshua's. And I, th- I think he's raising up Catherine Kuhlman's. This isn't wishful thinking. I, I really believe these are promises and truths that he's spoken o- over our house. And he's building up this company of revivalists and reformers who transform every room that they enter. That's you, in case you thought it was your neighbor. I'm talking about you. But, but listen to me. You can't be going through the motions of a move of God. You have to be the move of God. There has to be a purity about what we're doing. In other words, you, you cannot produce spiritual things through the flesh. It's impossible. You can fake spiritual things through the flesh, but you'll never produce those things. You can fake things in the natural, but you cannot fake things in the spiritual. Have you ever tried to cast a demon out with your flesh? Have you ever tried to heal a sick person by your flesh? Have you ever tried to move a room, stir the room, and get them in tune with the Lord through your flesh? You cannot, better make sure this is true before I say it. People are like recording this. You cannot replace encounter. You you cannot replace anointing. You cannot replace purity. These are things that you cannot fake. You actually have to be there in the spiritual. Um, This is a house of encounter. We will be a house of encounter. We're taking a stand that that is what triumphs when we gather together as a church. This is a house of encounter, and nothing replaces that. Not strategy, not methods, not service order, not lighting displays, not meeting times. 
None of it. Listen to me. Some of the greatest moves of God in history had no strategy, no methods, no service order, no lighting displays, no meeting times. Why is it that we idolize those things so often? I think that too many of us church leaders follow the trends instead of follow the cloud. Um, the Lord, I meant to say this earlier, and I feel interrupted by him to say this, but um, I felt like there was a word for tonight, and I thought it was for somebody who I've never seen in my life, and I had a picture of them, and I don't see them in the room. So either you're watching at home, or I'm just going to say it, and if this applies to you, I want you to take hold of this. Um, before service, in pre-service prayer, I saw a picture of a bee, and it was going to its beehive, and there was wax there. And I began to think, I actually don't know where like where the wax actually happens with bees. Is it in the hive or whatever? But there was wax there. And I heard this phrase, none of your beeswax. And the Lord said, there's actually people here tonight who have been so hurt because in the genuineness of their love for others, they've tried to check in or love people or, or uh, bless them. And the people took it as an offense and said, you're bothering me. And it was almost like none of your beeswax. Like, this isn't for you. Like, stay in your own business. Don't bother me. Um, if that's you, it, will you be brave enough to raise your hand if you feel like there are people who have just like rejected your genuine affection or love or support of them? Yeah, raise your hand re re real high, just for a minute. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, you can put it down. I see two hands. If there's anybody else, your neighbor saw you. Can we just stretch out our hands to, to you guys for a minute? Um, there's one over here. There's one over there. I felt like the Lord said he's actually going to redeem this part of your life, that he's actually going to redeem the the moments of hurting where you literally went out of love from the father and people rejected it as you being nosy or getting all up in their business. Um, he's actually drawing a line and canceling it out, that statement that says none of your beeswax. And so we just proclaim that he's, he's redeeming that, he's restoring that, he's actually increasing your love for others, and there are going to be others who are going to be redeemed and restored because of your redemption and restoration. So we bless what the Lord is doing in your life. We cancel the lies. We cancel the plans of the enemy, those fiery darts. They, they cannot touch you. You have on the full armor of God, and we bless your heart to be whole in Jesus' name. He restores hurt. He restores wounds. He, he takes away scarring. And so we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. The religious spirit actually thrives on strongholds. Did you know that? Okay, I guess not. Well, the religious spirit, it thrives on strongholds. Um, I guess you know now. The religious spirit has two main goals, always. It, it's to prevent change and to maintain the status quo. That's what the religious spirit wants to do. And we know that if, if the devil can't prevent people from getting saved, what he wants to do next is prevent people from walking in the fullness of that salvation that they've obtained. And strongholds, are these, this idea, are these mindsets that are set up by powers and principalities of the region. And these strongholds fight tooth and nail against God's times, against God's seasons, and against God's divine order. Powers and principalities are anti-God's plan, if that makes sense. And so in that 
regard, strongholds are one of the tools that the enemy will use to try to preserve the status quo. And what I mean by that is that's what he'll do to make sure that we're not advancing with the Lord. We're not advancing the kingdom or moving forward or taking the gates of Hades by storm. The problem with that is that God says he changes times and seasons. And he says that he does a new thing. Are you not aware? So these strongholds cause people to dig their feet in and resist change. And because they're set up to resist change, one of the main strategies that the, that the enemy will do is, through these strongholds is to get people's eyes off the Lord and onto themselves. Strongholds will usually make us look at our own comfort, at our own agendas, at our own comfort zones. They're not concerned with his agendas and his time zones and his comfort zones. Strongholds are set up to prevent you and I from co-laboring with the Lord. And powers and principalities, uh, we'll look at this, the verse talking about powers and principalities, but they'll try to lure people into these strongholds. Have you ever been in a region or a geographical area where there are certain mindsets, certain pattern of thoughts that everyone there seems to have. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where I've been to some places where everyone there is depressed, you, you know? Or I've been to some places where everyone is angry. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, did you guys all have a meeting to decide to be really sad all the time? I, I don't remember getting that memo. Well, the reason that powers, the reason that happens is that powers and principalities are reigning over that territory and trying to influence the minds of the people who are living in that territory, okay? This is a demonic struggle. Strongholds are, are these sets, sorry, this set of thoughts to get people to fix their position in regardless of any other information. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that they're clearly wrong about? And no matter how many facts you tell them, no matter how wrong you show that their logic is, they're like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm choosing to believe this, right? Think about that word, mindset. It's where your mind is set. It's this fortress of thought. Now listen, there are good strongholds and there are bad strongholds. God calls himself a stronghold. He calls himself a strong tower that we can run into, but there's also bad strongholds. Um, a stronghold is, is literally this. It, it's a place that's been fortified so as to protect it against attack. It's a place that has been fortified to protect it against attack. Another definition is a place where a particular set, or sorry, a particular cause or belief is strongly defended and upheld. One of the biggest obstacles that all people, not just believers, but all people struggle with is the mind. It's the obstacle of the mind. Let me rephrase that. It's the obstacle of the unrenewed mind. The mind isn't bad. The unrenewed mind wars against God, but the renew, renewed mind actually causes us to know God, okay? And I need you to understand that strongholds attack the mind, not the heart. This is why you can have someone who's madly in love with the Lord, who believes a very wrong set of beliefs because it impacts their thinking, not their heart. We've covered this one, I don't know, a dozen times, but who has all power and authority? Correct. Who has he given all power and authority unto? 
right. Therefore, who has no power and no authority? The devil, right? We've covered this. Do you remember the reason why we say that why does it seem like the enemy sometimes does have power and does have authority? How does he get power? Do you remember why we said he gets power? Because we partner with him. We literally give away our power and authority. It's, it's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And what the enemy will do is he will trick man into partnering with him. And he will steal this delegated authority from the Lord that nobody else has access to, has legal access to except believers. And what happens is when the enemy takes that power and authority that we give him, he begins to work out of order, out of the divine order of things. This is why sin is terrible, because it's out of the divine order of things. So I want to read a passage to you in just a second out of 2 Corinthians. And you're going to see that if all power and all authority has been delegated to us, we're going to see who is supposed to tear down these strongholds of the mind. Now listen, this might sound heretical, but it's biblical. Jesus isn't the one who's going to tear down the strongholds. He gave us all the power, all the authority, and scripturally, it's you and I who pull down those powers. Okay? Scripturally, powers and principalities resist the knowledge of Jesus, right? Intimacy. They never want you to be intimate with the Lord. And they fight against the transformation through the renewal of our minds, right? They do not want us walking in the fullness of our salvation. So they will convince us intellectually about non-truths. I also want you to notice um, that our battle is not against people. It's really easy to make straw man arguments about those people or those people. Literally, if you ever point your finger at people, then I don't know if you have a scriptural view of what's happening in the world. Because our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, as you'll see. So we need to make, stop making people the problem because the devil is happy to make us hate each other. Got it? So I'm going to read this passage. Um, I can't remember which version I gave the tech team. I'm just going to read the one I like best. Um, and I need you to understand that when it's talking about taking our thoughts captive, I know that we are called to take our thoughts captive, every thought captive through Jesus Christ. But this passage is not talking about us taking our thoughts captive. It's about taking other people's thoughts captive. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we war, I'll just read off the screen, how about that? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Do you understand that this is not a fleshly battle? Just like in the first sentence, it's flesh, flesh, flesh. It's not in the flesh. But it's a divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. I love when it says um, every lofty thing. That word right there is actually arrogance. Anything raised up against the Lord is pride. It's arrogance. Funny how they call it pride month, huh? Leave, leave that up there for a minute. And when, it, it, when it's talking about waging warfare, waging battle, the word there, it's this Greek word, and it speaks of this military service that is very difficult and dangerous. 
If you're a sheep looking just to stay in the grassy fields, you might, Christianity might not be for you. Hate to tell you. Like, he will take you into the grassy fields. He will set a table before you, but you're not called to live there. You're actually called, Jesus told Peter, that our job as the church is to trample the gates of Hades. There's a violence involved with this. One of my favorite verses is Matthew 11:12, where it says, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's this apostolic commissioning that requires an, a violent anointing to rob the domain of Satan and make it the domain of the king. And who has that power and authority? When we lay hold of these things and destroy all this arrogance raised up against the knowledge of God, we don't ask and we don't play nice. What we're called to do is forcefully remove demonic influences and powers and bring them into submission to the kingdom of God. It's an apostolic commissioning to make the old place look like the new. We've covered this. You guys know that, how that works. But this is the definition of apostolic. It's sent ones moving in delegated authority not giving it away to Satan, but moving in that delegated authority and violently transforming the old place to make it like the new, right? The, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What Paul is saying in this passage is that one of the anointings available to us is the pulling down of strongholds. How many of you, when you see just like the enemy seemingly succeed and you see all these news stories about whatever, how many of you ever feel overwhelmed like, well, what can I do about it? That's one of his tactics is to wear you down, is to bombard you with these false thoughts, these strongholds, these mindsets, and convince you that you actually have no power. But look at that. One of you, not even the whole church, but just one of you has that ability but you put a whole room of us together, we should be impacting society, okay? Some of us make the error in thinking that powers and principalities are just for the, like people outside of the church. They don't come in the church, you know, only for non-believers. No, no, no. Uh, powers and principalities are equal opportunity oppressors. They don't care if you're in the region. Um, I was in a place not long ago, and I'm not a sad guy, but I cried many times during the trip. And I, I was like, what is, you know, is it? I, I don't even have a guess what it could be. And he said, no, you're being impacted by this place, like the powers and the principalities here. This is why we see territorialism and fear and pride infiltrate the church instead of the other way around. The church should be impacting the powers and principalities and strongholds and fortresses and arrogance raised up against the Lord. But too many times we don't take that stance. And if we're not tearing those things down, that's like us giving our authority away and they come right into the church. And all of a sudden you have very territorial churches, very powerless churches, um, churches that are afraid of each other. One of the biggest things that we take heat for is Oahu School of Worship. Um, you know, believe it or not, not everyone loves Kingdom Living, our ministry school. Not everyone loves Reunion, which kind of makes me mad because the church is people. And I'm like, how do you not like these people? These are the greatest people ever. Like, get out of here. But listen, the thing that we take the most kickback from is Oahu School of Worship. Um, we've never had 
so many people, so many uh, experts, as you were, or as, the, as they'd like to be called, and so many gatekeepers come and tell us, um, you can't do that. You cannot do that here. And I just think, like, I don't remember asking your permission, but, you know? Or they'll say, like, you can't do a worship school that way. Or um, we don't do it that way, so you can't do it that way. I've heard that one a few times. Um, and this is the one I want to kind of linger on when people say, you can't do that here. You can't do that here. Because when they say that, and I'll, I'm going to break this down for a minute, what they're saying, they're not saying this, but what's behind that is there are powers and principalities here that that doesn't align with. And even if you think you heard from the Lord to do this school, um, you know, we have fear here, and we have pride here, and we have territorialism here. And what will happen is when people, most people don't intentionally partner with strongholds. They don't intentionally partner with these powers and principalities. But what will happen is they'll find themselves being manipulated by these things that they're not pulling down and not fighting against. And they'll start being manipulated into control, trying to control others and trying to manipulate others. Uh, one thing that we, I think we can probably just ask the Lord, like we learned our lesson, we don't need to get any more of this, but one thing that we get a lot of is unsolicited input about Oahu School of Worship. Um, and then they'll church it up, you know how Christians be. They'll say, like they'll try to church it up and they'll say like, oh, I'm just trying to help. Like, oh, thanks for the help, brother. Um, you know, like you can't do that. I just want you to know, I don't want you to like, you know, ruin your reputation. You can't do that here. That's not the norm. That's not what people are comfortable with. No, I, I need you to hear me, church. Okay, I need you to hear me very clearly that we will never cater to the norms created by powers and principalities. We will never cater to strongholds of the region. What other people do in their free time is up to them, between them and the Lord. But listen, we will tear them down. That's what we're going to do. And this is key. This is when I saw it, that what we think is culture sometimes is actually a stronghold. And we've, we've brought this up before in the past, that anytime my culture runs counter to his culture, it's not his culture that needs to change. It's my personal culture. I need to adjust to the kingdom of God. Okay? Part of the stronghold, the powers and the principalities over this place, I think there's one called settling. I don't know, like, I don't know all the spirits by name, and, you know, some people are like, oh, there's a spirit of this. Maybe there's a spirit of settling, maybe a spirit of complacency, but this is, this is a byproduct of one of the powers and principalities of this place. The willingness to accept lesser things. What did Jesus say we should pursue? The lesser things? The greater things. It's almost like these strongholds are running counter to his kingdom and his righteousness. There's something called an orphan mindset. It's a stronghold where your mind is set on this, this idea. The orphan mindset um, is unwilling to pay the cost for something. And I'm not talking financially. There are far greater costs than money, right? And we forget that the kingdom requires. The kingdom has cost. And yes, I understand that you know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But that's not what, what we're talking about. That, that's like a salvation thing. Once you're in the kingdom, there's actually a cost. Like you're called to take the talents and multiply them. You're called to work so that when he comes back for those, those minas or those talents, that it's actually an increase with, with your stewardship. 
Do you understand what I'm talking about here? Sometimes we think that wooing the bridegroom shouldn't have a cost to it. And I, I just, I don't know which Bible you're reading. Over and over and over throughout scripture, it's the bride who's told herself to make herself ready for the bridegroom, not the other way around. And at great expense, she makes herself appealing to him. Beautifying yourself comes at a cost, takes time, takes effort. And when people say, well, you can't do that here, in other words, you might be able to do that elsewhere, but not here. What I hear is, well, you, you can't expect the bride here to beautify herself like she does in other places. That's too much to ask for people from here. Are you kidding me? What do we think the bridegroom's response would be to a bride who says, I love you, but I'm not willing to pay any cost to, to beautify myself for you? That cost is for other brides, not, not me. For maybe for the bride over there, but not for us. That's, that's unfair, Mr. Bridegroom, for you to ask me to do that. That doesn't fit in my comfort zone. Do you understand how that's entitlement? Do you understand how that's pride and how they're, like, pride is just fear? When we, yeah, this is a, <laughs> welcome to reunion where we're always happy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm doing? What we're doing tonight is we're tearing down these lofty thoughts that fight against the kingdom of God. We're dismantling things. We don't focus on what the enemy is doing, but we do want to identify his schemes so that we know how to dismantle them. And when we embrace a poverty mindset, it leads to apathy. It leads to settling. Settling is like one of the main byproducts of an orphan spirit. You know, it's good enough. I don't need the fullness. I don't need perfection. I, I just need like, I don't even need 98% pure. I just need like 60% pure. That'll be good enough, right? Apathy is willing to settle for the lesser things. Apathy is, is not willing to pay the price. And again, I don't, I'm not even talking about money. People pray for gifts all the time, gifts of the spirit I'm talking about. Like, oh, I want to walk into a room, everyone gets healed, and they don't read their Bibles. Or, you know, I want to see 20,000 people saved this year, and then they don't evangelize. This is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom works by investing. Do you know what investing means? Well, you should, because I talked about it last week. It's when you take what's in your possession and you put it somewhere else so that it can grow. There's a cost to the kingdom. The Bible says, first the natural, then the spiritual. Being unwilling to pay a price in the natural is, is usually a sign that you're not willing to pay a price in the spiritual. Everything you do is just an overflow of what you carry inside, right? If the spiritual is actually the greater reality. And if we're willing to pay any price spiritually, then we don't have to convince ourselves in the natural to pay any price. Last week, I, I talked just for a few minutes about some of the heroes of the faith, um, the Smith Wigglesworths, the William Branhams, the John G. Lakes, Oral Roberts, go down the list. I, I love learning about these guys. And I brought up this concept, and I want to just drive this home for the last few minutes. But if we're called to stand on the shoulders of the last generation, then by definition, that means that the requirement, or that there is a requirement to bring more to the altar than the last generation brought. 
we cannot live off of their sacrifice. We can stand upon it and grow, go from there, but we can't live off of their sacrifice. We can't live off of their encounter. What we're called to do is start where they left off. This is how the kingdom of God actually builds. This is how the kingdom grows, which means that their ceiling of standard must become our floor. Did you hear me? Their ceiling of standard must become our floor. And if we want to start where they finished, then where they finished has to be our starting point, not our target that we're hoping to obtain. Part of that, I, I firmly believe, is purity. If their ending point is our starting point, and their level of, then their level of purity means that's now our level of purity as a starting point. That means there's actually a greater requirement of purity in our lives because we're standing on what they actually fought and died for. And this sounds kind of scary, like I don't know if I have that in me, but listen, it's only scary until we figure out that God is good and he lavishly equips us for the callings and the destinies that he's placed upon our lives individually and corporately as a house. It's, it's this idea that our generation's requirement of purity has to be greater than the last. Our generation, are you alive? That means you're in our generation. Our generation's level and standard of holiness has to be where the last generation left off. If they ended at a certain point of purity in pursuit of the Lord, by nature, that's now our starting point. Does this make sense? Okay. So I was talking to Milton before service. Milton is our glory pastor this week. Every week we have a glory pastor. And if you don't know what that is, their main job is just to get lost in the clouds. Like they're not worried about service order. They're not worried about logistics. They're just listening to the Lord. They want their ear on his heart every minute of every service that they're assigned to be the glory pastor. And, you know, that means that if there's ever a minute like we're the worship leader or if I'm up here talking, we can look to that glory pastor if we don't know, are we supposed to go left? Are we supposed to go right? And we know that they're the safety net who's, if we're not hearing from the Lord, that that's where we can turn and look to them. Isn't that cool? We're cool. Well, I was talking to Milton um, just during worship, and he was just asking, like, hey, what's on your heart? And I was, you know, what do you feel like the Lord's doing? And he was saying, and I agree with him on all of this, you know, we just had covenant membership a few weeks ago, right? I love covenant membership. And when people become members at reunion, this isn't a formality to us. This isn't now, okay, now you have to pay for this, or uh, you're in this club, or we're checking for your attendance. We really do believe that you're covenanting with us as family, that you're, you're saying, I'm part of this house, this is where I belong, and it puts you under the covering of this house. The flip side is that it also means that you're asking, what can I do to support this house? Because this is where you live now, spiritually speaking. And it's this idea of, you know, if I'm part of this, this family, if I'm part of this house, what is God asking us to do corporately? Because I need to know how I can come under and serve that, right? That's what that means to us. And I'm telling you, when it comes to Oahu School of Worship, when it comes to things like kingdom living, when it comes to the direction that we go when we gather on Sunday at services, this is where he's taking us as a family. All of those things. And with that comes a higher level of purity. 
with that comes a higher level of holiness. Um, and listen, I want to just say this about OSW. If, if you don't have money to come, that's not a disappointment. And we're not like, oh, you know, Angela is a member of Reunion and she didn't sign up for OSW. There is no shame in this. Listen, there is no expectation that anybody comes to OSW. But what it means if you're part of this house is that you're actually a part of OSW, whether you attend or not. What it means is that you can still be praying into it. You can still be praying for all the dozens of people from other churches who are going to come in here who don't live in a glory zone, who aren't used to the splash zone in the front. And we can be praying into their encounters, and we can be praying for their churches that they have radical transformations and that the Lord visits them in mighty ways and that their people all start to look like the Lord too. This is part of the family. It, it might not mean you're there in person, but it means you're there by prayer. Maybe you're there in spirit. And I just need us to understand that this is where the cloud is moving. This is what the Lord is doing on the island in our generation. It looks like things like OSW, these training and equipping centers. And it's almost like God says, hey, you cried out to be set apart. And this is part of what being set apart looks like. I don't know how to close it, so we're just going to close. It's one of those abrupt endings like, well, the baby cried, we're out of here. Like, that's it. That's like my alarm. I said, pinch, pinch that baby when I'm... Glory pastor just pinches babies. I know it's time to... I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, we're going to pray. We're going to move into a time of ministry here. Um, but what I want to pray for is two things. The first one is for purity. Purity of heart. Purity of agenda. Um, Again, like he's looking for those who are perfect in heart, full in heart, who are unwavering in their devotion to him. And I think that he wants to bring some people who have 50 to 60% purity of heart, he wants to bring them to 100%. But I also know that there are some people in the room who are really pure. You're 98% pure. And you're really, really pure, but you're still holding on to a few things. And I think that he you know, so many times we'll say, yeah, but I, like, God, I'm really pure. I'm like almost 100%. That's way better than 50 to 60% pure. Like I'm 98, maybe 99% pure. I'm, I'm good with this. But I want you to know, even that's a poverty mindset. Even that's an orphan spirit. He's not okay with 98%. It doesn't mean he's going to strike you dead and punish you. It just means like, no, he's saying like, don't you understand there's more? There, there's actually more of me available when you become more pure in heart, more pure of your pursuit of me. And I think he's asking for some of us to fully submit those things. Um, the other group I want to pray for specifically, um, I heard this quote this week that the anointing is not for picnics. Do you understand? The anointing is not for picnics. It's not just for going home and watching the ball game and, well, you're so anointed. No, it's actually for doing the works of ministry. And I feel like some people in this room need to understand. Can you put that slide from 2 Corinthians back up there? That this is actually talking about you, that the anointing isn't for picnics. It's not for you lounging around. It's actually for you to transform our culture, our society, the place that we live. It's for you, I'll put it in these terminolo this terminology, it's for you to transform our generation. And I think that some of you don't believe that. There's Gideons in this room who you actually need an angel of the Lord to come and call you by a new name and give you a new identity. Will you guys stand with me? I want to bless you. 
Father, thank you for this house. Thank you that we get to stand on the shoulders of the generations that came before us. So would you mark us to be shoulder standers? Yeah, we're not aiming for shoulders. We're standing on shoulders. So Father, put us where you need us to be. Lift us to where you need, need us lifted. Purify what needs purifying. Remember that prayer. Shake whatever you want. Take whatever you want. Purify whatever you want. Father, purify whatever you want. We don't want 98% purity. We want 100% purity. No other agenda. No other devotion. No other affection. Except for you, Jesus. Purify our minds. We pull down the strongholds that have snared us. Bondages, you are broken tonight in Jesus' name. Fear, goodbye forever. You are canceled, you're cast out. Pride, you're eliminated from hearts right now. We speak life over every single person in this room, over your heart, over your destiny, over your calling in the Lord, that he only has good, perfect ways for you. Yeah, even now, fear is rising. Don't let it. He, he literally says, just if you need to even say it out loud, like, Sorry, fear, you can't have me. This is a place, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, invade, fill the rooms of these temples. Every room, every shadow come to light. 100%. And we just proclaim that your anointing, Father, is not for picnics. That you have anointed us. Anointed us in the same way that Jesus quoted it in Luke 4. You've actually anointed us to set the captives free to break the bondages, to, to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears, to raise dead people, to call sons and daughters back into their rightful place in the kingdom. That reunion would be a hard place for people to go to hell from. That this would be a place where the gates of hell are trampled. And I'm telling you, you're the ones trampling them. So equip this people, equip this family. We celebrate your name, Jesus. We celebrate your blood. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us, that purified us. And because of that purity, we can be 100% pure. So we glorify your name. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.